0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Tonight, we're in the book of Colossians, and I will, we will tie it into the story of Christmas. Uh, and the title of the message is The King's Gift. So here in Colossians, Paul the Apostle was left in prison in Uh, Rome for about two years. That's how we left the book of Acts. We just finished it a few weeks ago. And one of the letters that he wrote while he was in prison is the book of Colossians. It's a short letter, but it is divinely inspired. God breathed an anointed divine revelation of incredible truth that the Holy Spirit wrote through the apostle Paul. Uh, that that is amazing and has has been captured and and uh, collected and put together and placed into what we call the New Testament. So let's bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we welcome Your Holy Spirit. I thank you for all those who are here. Uh, those who are listening to radio, we welcome those who are watching online. We pray for those who maybe, you know, in this season are sick and not feeling well. It's that time of year. May the hand of the Lord be upon them. Uh, may you touch them, be healed, and be whole in the mighty name of Jesus. May they get rest and strengthen and refreshed and be able to be back in fellowship as when they are able, Lord, but we thank you for your word tonight. We welcome those who are with us here this evening, and we want to hear what the Spirit would say to the church for such a time as this. And we give this time into your hands. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Amen. So we're taking small, you know, sections. We've got a handful of verses tonight Uh, in Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 19-19 through 23. So, uh, just to go back a little bit, a few verses, and put it in uh, context, uh, let us begin in verse uh, 15. This is what we saw last week, And, and Paul is describing Jesus. And he says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You remember we mentioned that firstborn doesn't mean, you know, like literally in time born, but it means the highest position in all of creation. And then why is he the highest in all of creation? Because verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So he literally is the creator of all things, talking of Jesus. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. So now we find out that Jesus has existed for eternity. And in him all things consist, which means are held together. We talked about that beautiful word, literally with atomic power holding the atoms Together, even of our own universe and bodies, and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have preeminence. Now we pick up where we left off in verse 15, or verse nineteen. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all the ful- fullness should dwell. It pleased the Father that in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. So number one, for your outline to follow along, life lessons, number one, so that we may be the beloved of God. So he says here, it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And what is, why did God want all of his fullness to dwell within his son Jesus? So that we may be the beloved of God. This is who God truly is. Now the word translated fullness, but I want to just follow this just for a moment here. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. The word fullness is the Greek word pleroma. It means, quote, the sum total of all the divine power and attributes. This, in other words, is another proof that Jesus Christ is God. He is equal to God the Father. And because Jesus Christ is God, he is able to do what no mere man could ever do. He can reconcile lost men, women, boys and girls to God. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is the reconciliation gift from God. So now here we are at Christmas. And everybody's thinking about the story of Jesus and born in Bethlehem. And so literally, this this is the greatest gift that has ever been given in all time and in all of history and in all of the universe. The king of the kingdom who created everything in heaven, everything on earth, and everything in this vast universe had a gift that he wanted to give. And that gift that the king gave was literally himself through the birth of Jesus Christ. Now it begins with that birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and then that baby boy grows up to be the man in whom all the fullness of God dwelt. Let me read to you again the definition of that word fullness. The sum total of all divine power and attributes. Everything that is God was in fullness in Jesus Christ. And this is really what Christmas is all about because Jesus who was born in Bethlehem as the little baby wants to be born in our hearts. Literally he wants to come inside of us and bring with him the spirit of God and salvation and eternal life that we might become the sons and the daughters of Almighty God. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Amen. The greatest gift that has ever been given is given by the king to all of his subjects in his kingdom and the gift that he gives is literally himself. But here's what I want you to notice about the beginning because the whole book of Colossians about, is about who Jesus is as equal and the revelation of God the Father. But I wanna talk about, in verse 19, where that phrase, for it pleased the Father, that in Him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And what I, so what I wanna take just a moment and say is that there, there are a lot of people that, you know, it's, this, this idea is out there that somehow God the Father Is this very, you know, yes, he's holy, but he's kind of distant, he's kind of angry. I guess they they think of it as the Old Testament God, and he's mad at us, and he's wrathful, and then Jesus came and kind of softened his heart and changed his attitude toward us. I just want to say that is not biblical. It is not true. It is not founded on scripture. The Father is the one who initiated the reconciliation of mankind. I want you to know that God the Father, it pleased God the Father, that in Jesus all the fullness of himself might dwell. In other words, Whatever it is that people are drawn to Jesus because they read about Jesus and he's so kind and he's so loving and he's so gracious and he's so patient and he calls out the hypocrites and the people that are being religious and he tells you don't judge one another, judge not lest you be judged and he's full of love and compassion. He heals people, he delivers people. Oh, they love that. Well, everything about Jesus you love is a revelation mirroring the Father, it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all of his fullness might dwell. So what I want you to realize is what you, what you love about Jesus is what you can therefore love about our Heavenly Father. Yes, amen? He is loving, he is gracious, he is kind, And he, this is, and I want to just say this, because we're we're focused a lot uh, in Colossians on Jesus. But I want to take this moment and this verse 19 that talks about the Father. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of the Lord might dwell. God's attitude, God the Father's attitude toward you is one of absolute, pure, holy love. And it is never and it never has been anything else. God, your Father in heaven, loves you so much. In fact, the Bible tells us, for God, and is speaking of the Father, so loved the world, including you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe and trust in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So literally, it is from the heart of the Father, Jesus and everything he said and everything that he did, including going to the cross, dying in our place, being buried and rising from the dead. That did not change God's attitude from wrath to love. No, it was God the father who initiated the whole process of salvation for God so loved the world. Your Father in heaven loves you. In fact, Jesus, whom we easily fall in love with, says, oh, I cannot wait now that you know me and love me. If you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. I cannot wait to take you to and show you my Father. The same love and intimacy and relationship and blessing and tenderness And affection and love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit you have found in me, now come see it from your Father who is in heaven. And by the way, the Holy Spirit mirrors exactly the same thing. The Holy Spirit who is in you by faith loves you. There is no one more tender, more patient, more kind, more loving, more gracious, more patient toward you than the Spirit of the Lord. So we see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all as one. So it was because of God's love. His his one object in sending his son was to win us back to himself. So may I say here tonight, has the Father, by sending Jesus to you, won and captured your heart? Has he won you soul, spirit, and body? Hallelujah. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Well, let's look at verse 20. And by him, again, Jesus, this is by the Father's pleasure, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So here's what I want you to note for verse 20, the life lesson. His love was manifest by the blood of the cross. The story of the crucifixion, the story of Jesus being lifted up and nailed to a tree, the crown of thorns, the lashes that were given to him, the spikes that went through his hands and through his feet was a manifestation of the love of the Father and of the love of the Son for you. And by the blood of the cross, he has reconciled us and brought us back to have peace with God. So here's what I want you to note: If we needed to make peace with God, what does that tell us? That man has been at war with God. Man has been constantly in rebellion against God. All the way from the beginning, even in the Garden of Eden, when everything was pristine and beautiful and You know, the water was its purest. The air was its cleanest. The animals were brand new. All the foliage, there was zero pollution of any kind. And here's Adam and Eve baited the image after the likeness of God. Every single day, Adam and Eve went for a walk in the evening at the top of the tallest mountain in the world where paradise was on the top of a mountain. And they walked with the visible manifestation of God. How awesome. How beautiful, how glorious. And there were, you know, you know the story, there's a tree of life. They never really engaged in the tree of life. But there was another tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, please, not this one, do not take this. I don't want you to know by experience evil. That's what the knowledge of good and evil is. I'm gonna rebel, I'm gonna do sin, I'm gonna do evil I'm gonna go against God just to see what it's like. And God said, don't do it. But we did it. So look, Adam and Eve fell, and then the curse came and affected. Uh, the whole world but God knew what was going to happen and he had a plan already in motion and already from even before he said let there be or created the heavens and the earth he knew that he would save mankind redeem mankind that he would send his son Jesus to take the curse because basically the the curse once we rebelled against God we stepped out of that covering and anointing that we had with him there is death when you break intimacy and relationship with God, if God is life and you leave God, what else is there but death? And then the curse. So we live in a strange world where uh, you, there, there is death everywhere and decay, but at the same time there are remnants of beauty. It's almost like uh, one time I, I went to Greece and they had this little book that was beautiful because, you know, you go to Greece and you see all these ancient things. Rome is the same, the Colosseum, and, and you can see the pillars and, you know, the partial statues or whatever. Then they would have a, a plastic page that you could overlay these ancient ruins, and they would bring it all up to like the, what it looked like when it was pristine, freshly frescoed, painted, brand new. And you're like, wow, wow, beautiful. In a way, that's what it would be like if you could just take the world as it is now and take that plastic overlay of here's what it was like in the beginning, man, we you would we would be stunned, as beautiful as some of the glorious places on planet Earth are even now. We're like glorious ruins. You know, including mankind. Glorious ruins. But something is missing, something is wrong, and wouldn't, there's something within us that yearns physically, mentally, emotionally, culturally, within the realm of nature and everything. We wanna, we wanna go back home. We wanna go back to when it was pure and clean and clear and pristine. But there is nothing that we could do to make that happen. We couldn't rebuild it, we couldn't make it happen. Here we are, we're in the year 2021. We have never been as advanced in our knowledge, in our technology, in our sciences as we are now. But with the seven billion plus people we have on the planet, how good at, I mean, we're really good at making iPhones and new gadgets and widgets and fascinating creative things. How are we doing on changing the human heart, taking away greed and jealousy and fear and murder and lust and immorality and pride and greed and anxiety and depression and darkness and all the rest? How how good are we doing on that? Not so well. So here's the good news. What man could never do, God did for us. And by the way, he is the one who initiated reconciliation. He's the one who laid the groundwork. He's the one who gave the plan. He's the one that laid it out for the first coming of the Messiah with over 300 prophecies. He's the one that said, and now I'll give you a thousand more because... The first coming was only the beginning, and I've got a second coming, so that in the first coming, everything internally by the Spirit we could be washed and cleansed and forgiven of our sins, filled with the Holy Spirit. Your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, so everything inwardly gets healed. He goes, but in my second coming, I'm gonna manifest outwardly, physically, in nature within your body, the kingdom of heaven will be restored to the earth. Glory, hallelujah, come quickly, Lord Jesus, amen. Amen? His love was manifest by the blood of the cross. So I want to just say once we've admitted that we're sinners, don't be at war with God. Be reconciled unto God because all things are reconciled in heaven and on earth. I want you to, so what does Paul mean when he says this? Uh, Romans chapter 8 verses 31 and 32, I think it is, but let's read this out loud, shall we? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Think about what that verse is saying. If God the Father was willing to send his son from heaven to this fallen, broken earth to become a human being there in Bethlehem. Literally, I mean, talk about, you know, God saying, I want to identify with you. I I just think it's so cool. He didn't just send Jesus down like Superman with a cape hovering halfway between heaven and earth and go, ta-da! He literally, he came all the way down into a little tiny, tiny, humble village. Now, what's special about Bethlehem, it just happened to be the place. By the way, you know, Bethlehem is only seven miles from Jerusalem. So it's pretty it's really close. And what do you you know what did they really have in Bethlehem for the most part shepherds. Lots of rolling little hills. What did they raise? Sheep. Why would you want to raise sheep 7 miles away from Jerusalem? Well, I don't know if you, there were several million Jewish people and they kept having to have, you know, millions of sacrifices. So you need a lot of sheep. Where are you going to get the sheep when everybody comes for the high holy days? Like Passover. So the shepherds made a living. They raised the lambs that were used for the sacrifice for Passover because they were so close to Jerusalem. And isn't it amazing that humble, tiny little village was prophesied by and then fulfilled in history that there would be born in the little village town of Bethlehem the great shepherd who would become the lamb. That would sacrifice his own life on the cross that he might redeem us and save us. The very same place where the greatest king in the history of Israel, with his stories, the good and the bad and the ugly, but still something about this man named David, that when The people of Israel thought of David, it touched their spirit and their heart. They saw his humanity, they saw his frailty, they saw that he wasn't perfect, but he had a heart for God unlike anything that maybe had ever been manifest on the earth. He he loved God, he worshiped God, he had been a shepherd, he was a poet, he was a musician, he was a warrior, poet, musician, King, who loved people and who had a deep, intimate relationship with God. And God said, From David, from that man, who was a man after my own heart, not because he's perfect, but because he was a good repenter. Look, we're all, how many would admit you're a sinner, you're saved by amazing grace, right? So be a good repenter and be like David. You say, Lord, I have learned my lesson, never again. I now give and yield myself to you. So it's beautiful that God who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not, if he was willing to give up his son, it tells us there is nothing that he would not do with all of his power to be able to bless us and give to us. And I also wanna say this, because there's coming a day when not only the seven billion people on this planet, but all the billions of people who've ever lived going all the way back to Adam and Eve, and all of humanity will one day stand before the Creator and before the Lord Jesus Christ and will have to give an answer for, what did you do with Jesus? That will be the only question that you could be lost for a turn. It's not that you're, you blew it, it's not that you were a sinner. Everybody's a sinner, everybody, from Adam till the last human being and the second coming of the Lord. That's not what will keep you from going into heaven. But the Father will also, as well as, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with when I sent him to die on the cross? And that will be the question. If the cross will not awaken your heart in the story of God, then what would? Nothing will. We must note that Paul says that God was reconciling all things to himself. So it includes all of creation. It was through Jesus' death that peace was made between God and man. He made peace, verse 20 says, through the blood of his cross. All sins are paid for. Now God can redeem us, adopt us, make us sons and daughters, fill us with his spirit, and give us eternal life. Well look with me in verses 21 and 22. And this is a very interesting one. So these two verses, Verse 21 says, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Wow. So here's the reconciliation. You were alienated. You were enemies in your mind through wicked deeds your own works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Now, what is, what is he reconciling us for? Where, where is this heading? Why did God want to save mankind? To present you, humanity, holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. I want you to write this down in your outline. The aim of reconciliation has always been holiness. Believe it or not. The whole reason that God redeemed Adam and Eve and all of their children and sons and daughters who were once alienated is that he wanted to bring them holiness. Now, when I say holiness, what I want you to realize is holiness, God is holy. Holiness is the presence of God. It is the nature of God. It is the essence of God. It is the glory of God. It is life that is like uh, the the electric charge of a billion bolts and beyond that you could imagine of life. That's what holiness is. God is not trying to get a bunch of people that were breaking rules to then become rule keepers. It's way, way deeper than that. What he laid out in his commandments and so forth was when you walk in my nature, when you walk connected to my spirit and you know what I am like as your father and you as my children emulate me and you walk in your identity as my son or daughter, then you're going to be filled with my presence in my life. It's heaven. Holiness is like you're, you're just vibrating with happiness, joy, and peace. It's more than rules, it is life everlasting and full of glory, powerful. So verse 21, you who were once alienated, the ancient Greek word translated alienated is literally transferred to another owner. So you were alienated, but then you were reconciled. What that means is God transferred you from one owner and brought you to another owner. Who you used to be owned by was the devil who used and abused you. You have now been, as you were, alienated, taken from the devil. You now are under new ownership, which is your creator, which is your father who is in heaven, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now you belong to him, that he might live in you and through you. Amen? Once we were alienated means that in Jesus we are no longer alienated. And the difference is not merely that we've been forgiven of all of our sins. We have a completely different status. We, We are in Christ and Christ himself is in us. Now, before when we were rebellious, the mind, the natural mind of the unsaved, of a sinner is at war with God. Now, let me just say this. A sinner may be sincere, they may be religious, they may even be somewhat moral, but we're still at war with God until we yield to him. So in verse 22, it says, And in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Okay, everybody look up here for just a minute. Okay, so... Here's what your Father in heaven sees when he sees you. You and Jesus, by his Spirit who is in you, have become one. He doesn't see your sin he doesn't see your brokenness he doesn't see your lostness he sees his son his beautiful glorious pure holy blameless son and he who has begun a good work in you will continue it you already have the holy spirit within you he is washing you cleansing you continually forgiving you renewing you transforming you changing you changing your mind, your thoughts, and it's a glorious process. You will be holy, completely pure. But he sees you even now. He doesn't see your lostness, he doesn't see your brokenness. He doesn't see that. He sees Jesus in you. How many are glad for that? He doesn't see you. He sees himself. He sees his character through the son. Now read with me Jude 24. The little book of Jude, it's only one Chapter. So it's Jude, verse 24. Jude uh, is short for the Hebrew name Judah, who also happens to be, according to church history, another one of the half-brothers of none other than Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you love to know more about this guy? Jude 24. Let's read it out loud. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy." That's how he is able to present you. So literally the time is going to come where Jesus, so we're going to go to heaven and we're going to be brought to Jesus first. How many are looking forward to that? So you're brought, wow, there's Jesus. And then Jesus is going to say, now I'm going to bring you to my Father. And when Jesus takes you, and apparently, look, so we're in eternity, so there's no time, nobody's gonna be looking at their watch. So we got eternity, and I'm sure it's gonna be something like, you know, however long, you know, year could go by like that, and you don't even feel time, because we're outside of the realm of time, we're in eternity, and the next thing you know, they're calling your name before all of the angels of heaven, all of the subjects of heaven, and there's Jesus, hey, come here. And then he goes, I want to bring, I'm presenting you to my Father. And when he presents you, here is, and he knows you, I know them by name. They invited me, I knocked on the door of their heart, they asked me to come in. I've been walking with them, Father, as you know, since the day that you gave your life to Christ. And now, Father, I present you holy. Pure, blameless, everything that I did for them has now been completed in them, and I give them now to you, Father, to bless them and encourage them and spoil them for the rest of eternity. And then we get, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One day we're going to see God, and Jesus will present us. And this is absolutely stunning verse 22 in the body of his flesh through death why in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight so that that is incredible so basically the bible says that's who you really are that is your true identity do you believe that The Bible says that, yeah, I know, but, you know, you have, look, your critics who say, oh, I know who they, I know who they really are, and they point out all your failures, all your shortcomings, all of your sins and brokenness and whatever else, and you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to tell you that's who you really are, some failure from the past, and the enemy is there just throwing, saying, this is who you are mocking you, making fun of you. The whole plan and purpose of the Bible is for you to realize, hey, you know what? That is now a lie. It has nothing to do with me and my goodness. It has everything to do with what Jesus already did. And whatever I've done in the past, that's already been washed, cleansed, forgiven, put under the blood of Jesus. In fact, it doesn't even, the records don't even exist anymore. Do you believe that? Your past Is gone. It is washed and it is clean. And who, so the enemy is throwing lies at you, accusations from the past. No, that's been covered by the blood. Washed and cleansed. Now you're abiding in him. God is wanting to tell you this is your new identity. You are holy. You are my son. You are my daughter. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Wait upon me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will lead and guide and direct your paths. That, so the, the whole point of growing from being a little baby Christian to a mature, full-grown son or daughter of God is that we have to not allow ourselves to go through the circles Of our past identity which is no longer ours so we have to remove the lies reject the lies and say that's a lie i reject it it's not true and i now replace that lie with the truth of who my father and my savior and the spirit says this is who i am i'm in christ i am set free I am no longer a slave to the pull of the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I've been there, done that, done with it, and now I'm all in to the best of my ability for the Lord. Amen? A new identity, and walking in that new identity to present you holy before the Lord. Ah, I love that. Walk in holiness. So you are holy, therefore act like it. Amen? And it's not impossible. You can walk in a continuing, deepening, growing holiness in the Spirit in the Lord. How thankful I am for the place that I have in Christ today. And because of what Jesus has done for me, God my Father sees me as complete. And my true identity is in my Savior, Christ Jesus. All right, look with me in verse 23, and we'll close with this. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, it's interesting. So, all this cool stuff, my new identity, I'm going to be presented by Jesus, holy in Him before the Father. And then he comes to verse 23 if, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. So, that people say, well, what about, you know, once saved, always saved? You know, if you get saved, are you saved or can you lose it or whatever? And what I want to say is basically this, the, w- the way the Bible approaches it is, the day that you get saved, you do definitely get saved. And you're given that gift of eternal life. But let's just say that you walk away from it and there are those who have. Or later you reject it, or you question it, or you doubt it, or even you know what it is, you don't like it, and I'm done with it, or whatever. If you do not abide in your identity, Then there are scriptures like this one that will say, well, because I, look, let's put it this way. There are people that say, okay, is it true, you know, the once saved, always saved, I prayed, I walked forward, I said this little prayer, I read the pamphlet or whatever, and so I'm good. And then they go live like a little hellion for the rest of their lives. And they're expecting before they come before the Lord, and they're like, hey, remember me? I did my own thing, my own way, when and how I wanted, lived after the world, the flesh, and the devil, but I, I did the deed, I made the deal, I executed in my heart, it's all good, right? How many would, would agree that's, it's, that's not a good way to go? Not a lot of comforting scriptures for that. And what some of the writers, Paul, there are others, references in the New Testament is, if look, if you really are saved from the pain of your past, the mud uh, the grossness, the, the devilish stuff, the darkness, the perversion, the twisted, at, you know, at the very least, you're like, I don't want to dive back into the you know, cesspool and into the mud. I am walking by grace forward into greater holiness that God says is my identity in him. I want to grow up and mature and go from one level of faith to the next. I want to, I want to continue in the faith there's something about continuing in the faith that shows you had real genuine saving faith in the beginning. But I do want to also then add this it's not because I've do so many good deeds you know during my life that I find my assurance of salvation in my goodness or my actions or my performance, because I was saved just like us all of us, by grace, the gift of God, through faith. so if I'm really genuinely saved from the darkness, I want to walk away from that. I'm turning to the light. I'm walking to the things of God, walking in holiness and, and the you know growing in the fruit of the spirit to the best of my ability, running hard after the Lord. That demonstrates that I had genuine saving faith because I am saved not by my performance in the future. I'm saved because like a child, I believed and received his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation, and his spirit but it is, it is a saving faith born out that I continue walking in it. So if there's anybody saying, you know, doctrinally, no, I believe I did the thing and it's all good and you're living your own life, I have no, nothing to comfort you. And this would be a very sobering thing to say, what if I don't continue? Not good, does that make sense? Do You hear what I'm saying? So we don't live in fear, I don't you know, worry about, oh no, am I saved today or did I lose my salvation? I have absolute confidence in the power of Jesus Christ, what he did for me on the cross and his resurrection on my simple childlike faith. I know that I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm not earning anything, but I'll tell you this, because I really am saved and born again, and I am headed toward God's purpose and eternal destiny for me, I don't wanna go backwards, I don't wanna go into the world or into the flesh or, you know, the enemy of any, in any way, I want to run as far and fast as I can into the kingdom of heaven and grow in the Lord and walk in the Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit and see all that God has for me. Amen? So last, put this in your notes and we'll close with this. The hope of the gospel means that blessed hope of our Lord's glorious return. I believe that in verse 23 when he says, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Really the hope of the gospel is not only that Jesus came the first time to give us all the spiritual benefits of the kingdom, but the complete message is there's a second coming where everything that he's already built first spiritually on the inside will manifest itself outwardly when his kingdom from heaven comes to the earth when our prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is finally realized the hope that is laid up for you in heaven later he calls it the hope of glory and that is the king's gift the king's gift is we're reconciled and we're given the holy spirit and we're saved and we're a child of god and that he has a purpose and a plan